Welcome to episode 2 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century, directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via devmelange. That's D-E-V-M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. And now, here are your hosts. My name is Christian. I'm David. And I'm Paul. This is episode number two, and so we already have episode one live, and we have already got some feedback personally on Twitter and even in the discuss section mm-hmm. uh, on our awesome website. Thank you, David, for providing us this awesome website. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, last time we talked about the solid principles. And one fellow developer from Vienna that I think we, some of us know from, from coding dojos, whatever, it, it's called, he's called Georg, uh, he was so kind to leave some feedback and he said he, I guess what, what he meant was that when we talked about the dependency inversion principle, it's not so much about... Now, what, what he said, he's missing the, to stress that it is more about the, the usage of an abstraction yeah. instead of just the question, where does the instance come from? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. We, we, and don't really really good this, point. Yeah. we absolutely yeah. missed this. Yeah. We, so, for my part, I maybe just should have read up the <laughs> <laughs> principles up front, but yeah. as I did, obviously, that's one thing that we were completely missing. And thank you, Georg, for pointing this out. I think we had a nice chat online. And if you, dear listener, have other ideas and other feedback on the things we're talking about on the podcast itself, we're very, um, we're very keen on learning about what you think, what we could do to improve. We have some ideas. We discussed several, discussed several things about the podcast and we are still thinking about trying things out. And if you have ideas, what you like, what you don't like, it would be very helpful for us to improve the podcast. So please reach out for us online, in the underground, or wherever you find us. And yeah, together we will improve. Okay, I think there was another interesting uh, feedback. I think the first feedback that I was aware of on Twitter, uh, a gentleman from from France, I think, his name his name is, I think, Rameau Moura. Maybe that's completely wrong, uh, how I spelled it. And interestingly, his Twitter handle is even completely differing. It's Mark Summit, whatever that is the connection, I don't know. Uh, I'm very sad if I pronounce it wrong, where I, I, what I can think. Um, tweeted, the spice must flow, question mark, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Christian is laughing because he <laughs> knew what he was talking about. Yes, yes, so th- these are all plants within plants, you know. <laughs> no, um, so when, when coming up with the name of, of the podcast itself, um, I 
still my primary connection is with Vienna and then the coffee house, so to speak, and which yeah. is why I came to the Demelage, which is um, one of the traditional coffee drinks here in Vienna. Yeah, and yeah. So this is where, where I, I took the connection. And I did also um, think about the connection with the Dune universe, mm-hmm. um, where science fiction, a great, great uh, storyline. And though it was, for me, it was a little bit too remote to be directly associated or immediately associated and just taking it over. Okay. So this is... So, but, but I still don't get it. So yeah, we'll I, and I didn't get it either. And But this okay. gentleman or you explained it on Twitter and I really liked the idea behind it. Melange is the name of a drug in that universe, which is unique to one planet. And the, the society is using that drug for various purposes, mainly also for space travel, for instance. Okay, so it's about enhancing the capabilities of the... Of your human mind, exactly, because in yeah. the Dune universe, uh, mankind got rid of all computers. Uh, cool. Okay. What a genius name we have. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's your turn. First topic that we want to discuss is how to learn stuff, how to make yourself know more and extend essentially your capabilities and abilities, knowledge, what have you. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's so a great topic in my opinion. Because actually this is what people often mention is the, the main skill of the developer, right? In these days, learning, learning new stuff, right? I'm not 100% sure if it really is, but there are many, many, there's this guy who, I don't know, he made many pluralsite um, streams in one year. Yeah, you know, this, this simple programmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he always says all you have to do is you have to know how to learn new things. Yeah. That's the, that makes you a good developer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's even more popular now where where technologies change very often, right? I always say if you learned I don't know Java back ten years ago, you can really live from this till today, or mm-hmm. maybe also the next five or ten years. But I'm not sure if such a technology will again arise in, in the near future. Where I say, okay, if I learn it now and if I practice it, I will be able to do this for the next 20 years, right? I think not the technology and, and even our jobs, even if some technology like this would come up again, I think our jobs will not be that narrow focused. Yeah, yeah. So if you think, what, what do you have to touch? What languages do you have to use in doing all your stuff, including this whole um, DevOps thing? You have to type so many different languages, be it scripting languages being yeah. your main language and, yeah, and some yeah, other yeah. things. So, and this will broaden up even more. Yeah, so yeah. I think it might be completely okay to use 10 languages a day just for your normal stuff. <laughs> of course, not in a, in a, in a balanced yeah, yeah. weight, sure. but sure. you will do it. So that's, that's, uh, I'm doing interviews from time to time and then people ask me sometimes, what are the technologies you use for your projects or in, in, in the company? And I say, well, this cannot really be answered, right? Because we're doing different projects. And mm-hmm. even even if we would have to say it for one project, it's, it's, it really depends on, on the needs. And, and I think this is something which really changed during the last years, that people don't just use the technology they know or which is mm-hmm. accepted in the company. So there are .NET companies or Java companies to really try now to find a technology which which best mm. fits fits the goal or solves the problem maybe. That's that's one of the things I observe. Yeah. But how do you deal with the 
situation that you have to learn so many things and you don't know what you will really need? Do you just wait until you really need it and then you learn it? Do you try to get in private time up to speed on something that seems interesting to you? I, I mean, it depends a little bit on what is learning, right? Do you just... When, when can you say, I, I learned this language now? Well, just because you know the basic concept, just because you have a lot of experience in it, because you did something more than some side projects. But for, for me, I always try to keep track on, on what, what, what technologies are here around here, so that I have a basic feeling, what is this, where can it be used for, and how can it be used for, and which problems could it solve me? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. When, I, when do you say you know something? I have the feeling, for me, it's just doing it really consequently for years then yeah. I can maybe say, okay, I have the feeling I know it more or less. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not before. So any side project where you spend just a few dozens of hours is not enough to know anything really about the problem yeah. or, a, or a platform, whatever, I think. This is pretty much the also the way how I would approach on technology so far, so in from my experience. So for me, it was... Just to come back to the concept of, of having to learn something, um, going back into the school uh, school time, I don't believe that they pretty much pressed the topic or the, the, the necessity of that you have to, con as a developer, have to continue learning and educating yourself mm -hmm. after school. So it was... So you, you learned programming in school? Yes, yes. Okay. And the, there it was simply the languages that we had there. For me, it was primarily C++. I also did Java back then. And from there on, I, I mainly did for years on C++ exclusively. Mm -hmm. And only then by, by necessity in the, in, the, in the job that I had, it extended over to, for instance, C Sharp back then. Mm -hmm. And just by progression, then we realized back then, okay, we, this seems to be a new technology and go with it. So this was, I'd say about 13 years ago something like that mm -hmm. and back then I didn't have the need and not not, not even the, the realization that I would have to constantly learn mm -hmm. by myself or mm -hmm. something extend my knowledge it was simply okay I have this job and this is what is currently needed and that's it and only by changing jobs and teams I realized also also from input from different developers or other developers who already trained themselves I realized I need to also to train on my own time, or at least I make I have to widen my horizon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. So it's interesting. It's rather different when I think back in my starting to program because I thinking back, I had some classes about programming in school and then in university, but they were very very basic and introductory, mm -hmm. and so I. I always had the feeling that the relevant parts I have to learn myself, and that yeah. it was never a burden for me. It was always, always, a, always cool, and wow, what I can do with my computer or whatever, and and it, I really liked it. And that's still the point. I sometimes have uh, feel the pity that I don't have more time to to dig into things that I would find interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think so too, yeah. I think it just takes time to learn something. Yeah. You cannot really make it more efficient or, or shorter. You you need to practice, right? It's still it's still mm -hmm. programming and you need to do it a, a few 
few years or at least months, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I, I see very often that people say, okay, I learned now, I don't know, React, I learned no Angular, I learned Java, I learned Spring Boot. And when you ask them, what did you do? How, how did you learn it? I just took a, a Coursera course or a Pluralsile video, right? right? And that's, for me, this is, okay, you now have maybe a basic understanding or you... you 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 have seen how it works during falling asleep three times <laughs> during the video and and but still you you I wouldn't say that I know this technology right and for me if you really say you you know it then you could lead a team for example in the technology mm-hmm. right that's for me an indicator if I say mm-hmm. okay I know this technology because I I'm fit to to lead other people uh, well you, you just said it you're looking for a a leading position do you always look for a leading position or would it suffice also to have someone who at least had a glimpse of this technology this language or whatnot and they're not completely um, against it or completely blank on that technology and could still come in and be to some degree productive mm-hmm. yeah for sure in for this sure. case in this case you don't need persons to have I don't know five years of experience mm-hmm. in that technology but it's just recently uh, another way of measuring or or assessing if I feel that I have enough knowledge about a thing might be um, do I fear to have to answer a question about this technology by saying I don't know as long I have to, as I have the fear that this could happen I'm not good enough in this yeah, so for example if you I, I'm absolutely no expert in SQL But I would say, if someone asked me, do you know SQL? I'd say, yes, I know SQL. And I don't have a problem if you sit me down with, with a panel paper and say, how do you create a trigger? I, I don't care. I can look it up. But I know about the concept of a trigger and the problems of a ah, trigger. Yeah, that's and that's the idea. And, and so that gives me, and I've, I've done enough SQL so that I have the, the feeling, okay, I'm fine with the SQL. I'm not the best expert, but... I'm not completely blank, and if you ask me, do you know SQL, I can say yes. Yeah, but, but this goes in the direction that, that you say that you shouldn't learn languages or technologies, you should learn the concepts behind them, right? So if you understand the concept, yeah, but if you understand, for example, the concept of Spring Boot, you will really very soon understand the concept of ASP.NET, um, Web API, or SQL, yeah. right? So yeah, but in reality, I think it's, it's both, isn't it? You have to know the concepts and understand the concepts and the ideas behind it because otherwise you would think some things that you see are really weird. And on the other hand, you have to have enough hands-on experience to know some pitfalls, some typical problems that you have in implementing yeah. technology yeah. or, a, or an yeah, idea. Maybe, so yeah. I think you need both yeah. of it. But at least if you know the concept, if you know both is MVC and you understand MVC yeah. and how you structure your applications MVC, you will very easily find at least a solution on the web, right? If you know the concept behind mm-hmm. or the, the main driving principles behind the technology, yeah. it's it's much easier to take a look then at Google and say, hey, I have this problem here. It's this concept. How, how is it really implemented in, in this specific framework or technology, right? Mm-hmm. So this is more, these are more questions than about the complexity or expert level so to speak are you a beginner whatever the framework yeah. would be or the limit would be for a beginner or are you an intermediate or are you an expert the, yeah. these I are questions I would say questions about 
what you want to achieve, but how to how to actually get some information as well. So how okay. do you learn something? Because we, we agree that, okay, we are in an age where it's necessary to have knowledge mm. and to possibly mm. extend it. Mm. So how do you get it? Yeah. You have one, at one hand, you have your employer who might not be interested in training, your, training you mm. or the employees. You might have an employer who is interested in training them, be it now on the technologies that they want to use or not you want to use. And then you have your private time, whether or not you are spending some time on your own to extend your own knowledge. Yeah, I mean, the first one, if the employer does not support you, I would just look for a new employer, to be honest, because I think if an employer doesn't support the developers to learn new stuff and to get better, I think you, you shouldn't stay there if, you're, if you well, want the, to. The practical But reason would be that... Why should I train you a new language if the one that we are currently using is perfectly fine for our product? Yeah, but even if you just focus on one language, you, you can learn new things, right? I don't say that they have to give you the, the practice to, to learn a new language, but at least to... Language was an example. Language was an example. Be it now a new technology, what, 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 else, what have you? But it's, it's, I think, a very good example because it's a typical thing... I guess most of us are working mainly in some object-oriented language, and if you uh, if you have some idea about functional concepts, you can even go back to your object-oriented language and and get some benefit of it. So I think it's it's a good idea to to give an employee the possibility to learn something outside of the scope of the current project. Yeah. And, and the second thing you mentioned, how? I mean, for me, I always really try to do it hands-on, right? I, I like to read books, of course, but more on a, on a software craftsmanship or some pattern level. But if I really want to learn a new technology, I wouldn't buy me this Bible about, I don't know, C++ or Go. I would really try to, to start off with a small project. I want to, to achieve some goal. I want to... To, to go towards this. Yeah, I wouldn't, for example, watch watch videos for, for hours. I would really try to, to make my hand dirty on the keyboard. That's, mm. that, but that's just my experience. That's how I really learn it. Because if I just read it and don't do it, I, I forget it the next next two days, actually. Right? That's So that's why I think it takes really long. It really takes time. Yeah? Mm. You can't make it more efficient. You just need to sit down. And do it yeah. for, for, for a couple of and hours. What did you experience? And in this? get your bloody nose and yeah. <laughs> and, and the, cry. Yeah. <laughs> the, the small difference that I see, or the immediate difference that I see, is when you do it on a private time, you are not that much invested in terms of you're spending eight hours a day, for instance, and you're not having to strive for I don't know a completion date. And do this during the work time as part of the actual product that you're building. You have to be more invested. You have to yeah, be more yeah, diligent yeah. in that one. I'm totally with so you. Then I think it's in, in the total time it would be less than, uh, I don't know, it would, would take yeah. you in a private time. But that's what, what Paul mentioned, right? It, it's not really easy to do this on a side project, really. That's also my opinion. It's not, I mean, you can somehow learn it, learn the, the concepts, but it takes really long time. And so, If you just spend, I don't know, four or four hours a week beside your, your daily work to, to learn something new, I, I don't know if, if it's really possible that you get at least some, some kind of expert into something. You get a basic idea, but 
That, that's for, for me, I switched company once because I wanted to move to another technology. And I found out if I really want to do this serious, I have to do it during my daily work. I have to do it 40 hours a week, right? And, and th that's a good point, yeah. So learning it, if somebody really says, okay, I learned this beside my work, I really say, okay, that's, that's tough. You really did a good job in it, right? Because if you already work 40 hours a week and then you have to learn something completely different. So if you say you're, you are a Go developer and beside this you want to learn, I don't know, a JavaScript maybe or, or Rust and JavaScript. Yeah, this is really hard, I think. Right? But uh, isn't it as um, the more different languages, to, to keep this example, you know the different paradigms? Yeah. You know, the easier it is yeah, to learn sure. another one. For sure, that's that's. I'm, I'm, and that's here is someone I'm, talking that has no clue about anything about. Yeah. No, no. Besides object orientation, yeah, yeah, this, this, but this, I think it's like yeah. this, isn't it? There are these old white guys in, in software engineering which which say you have to learn a new language every year, right? And I think they are totally right. Yeah. If you know three or four languages, it's much easier to get into new languages because okay, that's just a mixture of those two languages, or at least you, mm. you see the concepts again. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I wouldn't say you have to learn a new language every year, but at least you should learn a new framework or a new some kind of concept, mm -hmm. programming concept every year, and then you really get a lot of, of new insights which can mm -hmm. somehow make sense in your head and you see, okay, this is somehow this and this is somehow this, which can be dangerous, but at least you, you understand the concept behind this and the idea which was, which was driving this framework or technology. Mm -hmm. I've had once a slightly related um, experience the first musical instrument that I learned was the guitar and and if you want to to write down what finger do you use from your left hand you have numbers for the finger so the index is number one and and you have the, the little finger is number four so okay. that's the numbering and then after some years of learning the guitar I started to learn the piano and now you are using also the thumb of your of your left hand And now number one is the thumb, and number five is the little finger. And so everything was, what was standing there at the beginning was completely off for me. It just didn't make any sense what I read there with these numbers from one to five now, because it was all one finger off. And, and then I had the feeling, okay, but when I got it, and I know if I have this instrument in my hand or this other instrument, I can completely switch after some time to, to make completely sense of the one to four or the one to five mm -hmm. on the two instruments and I think maybe it's a similar experience and if I would learn to play maybe the horn whatever with other numbering I wouldn't be that different uh, so that hard with this aspect for me anymore. maybe it's some kind of different uh, similar experience yeah that's right yeah so to sum it up David what's learning to you <laughs> It's, it's necessary, but it's, it's not easy to, to achieve it during your daily work if you really want to learn something new. I would really, if somebody isn't happy with the technology he's currently using, I would really suggest that he should really try to find a job where they use this technology to really get deep into it. Maybe that's my final sentence. It's not the best one, but it's the one that came to my mind now. Okay. Paul, what do you think? Hmm. For me, learning is, in our industry and in our profession, is really the great honor to have the possibility to learn basically anything I want without any 
financial effort. I just need a computer and I yeah. get anything yeah. online yeah, right. for free, that's right. That's right. resources, compilers, tools, whatever. And it's really an honor to be in an industry where, where you can be interested in anything. And on the other side, you probably could find a job where you yeah. can convert it to money on the other and, side. And where also people share that knowledge yeah. for free. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's, 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 that's really cool. Yeah. How about you, Christian? For me, learning is pretty much the, the investment in the future. Okay. Because we, in especially in this area where we are in, in software engineering, because the the technology and software engineering itself is being reinventing itself all the time. Mm -hmm. So trying to stick with whatever you learned 10 or 15 years ago might not be relevant or still is relevant in terms of having to know it, but it's not being used that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Unless you want to be... A, very high paid person that still knows how to run COBOL yeah. something like that so the this question time. is is this <laughs> will, will, will this COBOL jokes be outdated in some years in the future uh, when I, nobody sure, knows yeah. anybody I'm, I'm not sure if these people really exist which get the, I don't know 200k <laughs> a year to, to maintain some COBOL systems I think it's just an urban legend or Are there really so many people which earn so much money by doing cobalt? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. But you mentioned that it's this time. This time? This time, yeah. This time. This time. I guess it's this time. It's this time of yeah. the episode. <laughs> um, so what is this time? Should I explain it maybe shortly? We came up with this genius idea of this time. It's the time of the episode where we will talk about some, some habits, some tools, some, some experiences or some, some patterns we, we, we want to share with you since the last episode we made. So, Paul, can you maybe kick off well, what is your, your this time tip of the week or of the month? <laughs> um, okay, I'm completely unprepared. Then I will take over this time. So, I've been on, a, on GoForCon, mm -hmm. a cool. conference on the Go language. This time in... Uh, But Gopher is, isn't that one of these ancient internet protocols? As well, as well as a cute animal, which is the mascot of the language. Uh. And so it was in GopherCon UK. Um, the, it was my second GopherCon, the first one a few weeks ago in Iceland. And you really see that the language and the community is exploding in terms of usage, in terms of popularity and what have you. Because mm -hmm. the... Um, There were 80%, around 80% of first-time participants. And the trainer I've spoken to also told me that now they are booked all the time by big companies who want to get into Go. Okay, well, what domains or what companies do Go for, in your opinion? All sorts of, uh, uh, well, uh, which domain? Uh, Go is pretty much pitched as being the language of the cloud. Okay. okay. The, for, so primary... Um, But is it some, some kind of language which it could really good replace? I think, for example, Rust is some kind of C++ replacement. It's less about technology, it's more about usability or uh, use case. It's okay. meant, or the prime use case is typically wherever you have microservices. Okay. Which is why they say the language of the cloud. Okay. So this time, <laughs> for me, um, well... I had this experience to, to kind of work in a project with, with the so-called micro frontends. I don't know if you know this. So it's driving microservices 
um, to the UI. It's a really mm -hmm. interesting topic because actually the unit of deployment, um, if, if you think of the unit of deployment, if you have a microservice architecture, right, and then you have this more elliptical as a single page application, right? And, and what we are doing now is cutting it into really small UIs, which can, which are totally independent. And the, the good example, I mean, there's 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 blog, there's there are great blog posts on, on the internet over LinkedIn, and one of those references, for example, Amazon, which which made it really understandable for me. So if you take a look at the Amazon application, right, the search looks completely different than the ordering process, right? If you if you notice, you will realize this because it's it's a two completely different application, and they're just linked by a hyperlink. Right? Okay. So you can really completely independently update the UI for the ordering process and for the dashboard or for searching. And that's what we're currently doing, and I find this really very interesting. And I think this is what I know. I talk from Martin Fuller, I saw at the GraphConf. I think. Two or three years ago, we already knew this already. And of course, <laughs> he knew it that he said, okay, it makes no sense to make microservices if you have a monolithic UI. Yeah? And that's what we did in the previous project all the time. And so this is, I, I don't know how much complexity it will bring it and if it really will pay off. But for now, it is it's really interesting. And but I is it on a page level? So because you said the search is just linked to the other parts? No, no, it's, it's I mean, there, yeah, it's, it's, Bad defines the term micro UI, so micro frontends. Mm -hmm. People also sometimes reference web components, for example, mm -hmm. as all micro UIs which you can link and then you can compose them to your real application. But we are doing it in a way that we cut it and we just link them by hyperlinks. Mm -hmm. right? So this is more like the dashboard and the ordering process and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, we are more following the copy and own principle if we really need, yeah. for example, I don't know. The, the avatar of the of the profile on post pages they are just copied yeah okay. and we are mm -hmm. then thinking of, of somehow putting them into web elements mm -hmm. and stuff like this right but this was really interesting for me and I didn't know that there are so many people already talking about this stuff I mean there are conference talks from uh, two years ago mm -hmm. where they already mentioned that the microphone and it was totally new to me before before a, a few months mm -hmm. okay then let's into the second topic right it's about essential and accidental complexity or complication uh, well they are different defined so Fred Brooks with his legendary book that the one that the, the one man month um, the mythical man month yeah, the, yeah sorry okay. <laughs> the mythical man month um, just read it up on Wikipedia yeah it's, it's, it's really <laughs> no it's it's a really great book it, it's I mean, for me, it was very hard to read because it is very complicated English or sophisticated English or how to say it. Um, but there's, there are two very interesting things. That The, the one is the silver bullet. We'll know there's no silver bullet to solve a problem. And uh, the second one is um, accidental and is essential complexity. He calls it complexity. Um, J.B. Rainberg then calls it complication. He says complexity is something different than complication. I'm, I'm not quite sure about those two terms. Maybe someone of you gentlemen can describe it then later. I, I'm not really sure between the difference in complexity and complication. But back to topic. Um, essential complexity and accidental complexity. Um, it's about that software can be complex, right? We all know that software, if you take a look at the source code, it's complex. And there are two different kinds. 
he separates it into essential complexity, where he says, okay, it's complex because the domain is complex, right? If you create an application for, for low or, I don't know, for, for, for cost transfer or something like this, it, it will be complex from, from a domain perspective. And then there's accidental complexity, and this is the complexity which developers bring into the problem, right? Because they, they generate the, the, the wrong models, they generate the wrong software design, they, 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 they make the patterns not really visible. And I think this is a very interesting topic because he, the, the, the assumption is that the cost of a change is based on the sum of essential complexity and accidental complexity. And what we normally do is when we estimate to some change request, right, we take a look at the story and say, okay, it's, it's somehow complex. Maybe it will take as long time as this other user story took. So let's say four, five story points, right? But when the, the, the cost of changing or solving a problem is the essential complexity plus the accidental complexity, this makes no sense, right? Because you also have to take a look at the essential complexity, which is right in the software, right? And actually, you will not really notice, right? But does it really mean it? Is it not too hard to say it makes no sense? It's just not the whole picture, of course. But yeah, but then you you cannot really know. You cannot really say this this change request was as complex as this change request. That's why. It will take the same time. Uh, because you because say, because the system with all its uh, accidental complexity. complexity was not the same at both of the exactly. times. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just one part of the equation. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and then he, then, then for example, uh, J.B. Rainsberg talks a lot about of, of how can we solve accidental complexity and then, of course, TDD, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> what else? Um, and that's, that's the topic, actually. But how? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one, one idea that came into my mind is accidental versus essential complexity somehow related to TDD versus BDD. So doing the thing right, so having, at le having the least accidental complexity as possible yeah. and doing the right thing, so just giving the people enough features in yeah. the easiest possible way. That's, that's and not more yeah, that, that's what to reduce the yeah. essential complexity. I, I think yeah, that, that's yeah. what he also mentions. That's that's the point why he, he drives TDD into this problem because he mm -hmm. says if you just do really TDD right, you will never over-engineer and you will never introduce uh, accidental complexity, which is not needed because you just did TDD. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, and he's a big fan uh, a decade of, of extreme programming, and yeah. he comes up with these ideas. Um, and that's actually the point. Yeah, how how we can how we can minimize this accidental complexity, right? Because mm -hmm. for me, it's it's also a problem for estimations. If you, I mean, for for a greenfield project, you, you don't have this problem. But as long as you are working somehow in brownfield, you actually have to to know how how much accidental complexity is in your project. Right? There is the, um, one thought came to my mind when you started explaining accidental and and. What is the other complexity? Essential complexity. <laughs> essential, yeah. I was reminded of a book about flow-based programming mm -hmm. from J. Paul Morrison, uh, who defined it in the late 60s. And I didn't read the full book because it was too re the topic itself was too remote for me. It wasn't too, too tangible for me. Though in the, in the beginning, there was one sentence that still stuck in my head. It was, 
there shouldn't be any if statement about the uh, the programming language. There should, on, should only be if statements about the domain. Mm. Which brings it down to that the only conditions that you are uh, that you are implementing are those that come from the domain. If you are already doing some if statements that are necessary because of your language, because you have to check for a null pointer, for instance, or something like that, you already failed in that sense. So you should design or write your program in a, in a way that oh, you that the only ifs that the only conditions you have you are encountering are those defined by the domain. You're only co uh, making conditions on the domain and not based on the technology and the programming language and whatnot. I don't know how it's related to existential complexity, for, for to me, be honest, but I think this I is a really interesting mm. pattern and idea. Yeah. So the, the connection that I'm making now is the essential complexity because it, it becomes more and more complex because you have to go down various paths in your software if you have mm -hmm. conditions. Whereas if you add, have more and more conditions because of the technology, because of you're checking for null pointers and you designed your, your classes in a way that you have to check for null pointers, what have you, or whatever mm -hmm. paradigm you're using, you're adding this ex uh, accidental complexity which does not have to do anything with the domain. Yeah. yeah. And this is why, why I made this remote connection. Yeah, that's 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 really well. That's really I, I like this 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 if thing. Mm -hmm. I think it would be great for a coding dojo, right? Or something like this. This as yeah. you that's, that's cool. And I also understand your point. Yeah, I, I think you need. Yeah, it's some kind of also the, the thing of finding this the, the right abstractions and, and stuff like this and, and things that should should not be visible or, or destroy the flow through the program. But I. If I knew this, or if I heard this, uh, I heard this by, by J.B. Rainsberg as mentioned. There's a great talk I will link in the, 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 the episode notes. And I'm often thinking of this now. I, I'm often thinking of when people say, this, this program is so complex or complicated. <laughs> um, I often think, is it really the program itself or is it just the implementation? Yeah. I think mm -hmm. it's somehow both that the more complicated the prog that the problem gets, the more complicated normally also the implementation gets. So the 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 higher the essential complexity, the higher the accidental complexity. That's just my observation. If it's really a simple problem, people will somehow more often solve it simple and, and will produce many less accidental complexity. But if it's really a complex problem, then the chance is very high that people don't understand the problem. That's why they, they solve it in a way that it's not really... So when you think of DDD, for example, yeah. they don't understand the domain anymore. That's why they put in a lot of accidental complexity in it. And, yeah. and that's what I observed. Isn't that maybe a little bit of a problem with our typical programmer's mindset that we really find it cool to, to be able to deal with complex and complicated things? So that we are really proud of to getting these complicated things done. And so we don't really fear this uh, accidental complexity early enough until it bites us. I have the feeling sometimes this is really a problem because we like to do all this complicated stuff. We, we don't have a problem making it even more complicated because someone looks over your shoulder and says, wow, what's this? And, and you can say, and I understand it because I wrote it. <laughs> and I think that's really a problem because it should be always the other way around. As you said, if the domain and the things that you implement get more complicated all the time with every additional feature, 
you really have to even strive harder for making it still easy enough to think about and to reason about the code mm. and, the, mm. and the whole project and, and for that to reduce or not maybe just not increase the accidental complexity mm. that's mm. always already in there mm. so I think we we just have to take ourselves and, and our colleagues on the hands and say is it really important and is it necessary to make it complicated as it is mm. or couldn't mm. we find an easier technical solution yeah. for yeah. the thing that we have to provide for the end user the most pain point is the decided to choose the wrong models or the mm. wrong abstractions yeah. if you don't have the wrong abstraction or, or if you don't have the right model you will not come up with a good solution. You will always find this out after a few after a few days or weeks that you say, ah, I'm still not happy with the implementation. It's somehow a struggling, right? And then you will always come out come come up with the with the finding that the model is not really how it is to solve this problem, right? And that's that's why I find it interesting that you say maybe a language can help you in this because I don't think so. I think it's really that you have to understand the domain to have really a good understanding of how complex is it really or how complex is it currently only in your head and you really have to, to reduce this gap. Well, the, the connection that I made was um, pitching up on the we as developers like to solve complicated stuff and possibly even go way beyond what is actually needed and simply because we yeah. can write it up we do that. If the, the language itself limits you in terms of there are no, for instance, no generics or there is there are no yeah. gas hierarchies and what have you, you don't have the the easy possibility to go crazy with all these abstractions and make it complex and then the accidental complexity. Yeah, you're right. You're right. If, if the, the, the language somehow limits you in, in doing bad practices or patterns, I think that, that could solve the problem, right? Okay, so I think we're done with the second topic. Let's let's end it also with a with a short summary from from you, Paul. Maybe one sentence. How how would you solve the accidental complexity, the problem of accidental complexity, or how would you at least reduce it? I think the the most important thing is to be aware of these set of this separation. Yeah. So there is one complexity that we cannot run away. We can discuss it make it smaller by discussing it with our customer. Do you really need this feature in this way, I think? But do we have to implement something? And that's the point where, where our profession comes in. And our, maybe if we talk about software... Sorry, if we talk software crafting, about taking the pride to make a simple solution yeah. Yeah. on, on the yeah. technical side, to get all this essential complexity through the window, yeah. or through the door. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, the accidental complexity could be minimized by rethinking or reliving again the times when you started off with programming. Because back then you didn't think about all the complex and what yeah. stuff. You essentially had a problem and you tried to fix up something as good or not as good as possible. Simply that it works, the compiler is happy, and for yeah. some reason pressing the button worked, and you were happy back then. Yeah. Yes, that's that's a great sentence I think because I, I just I really did it what you said think back in time and to my mind now came when I when I learned generics 
When I learned generics back in, in .NET, <laughs> I solved everything with generics. <laughs> and that's exactly the point, right? <laughs> if I knew, oh, it could be somehow generic, and I could add a generic to this class because it's somehow, maybe we need it in the future to be generic, right? No, that, that's at, at the end, it looks, it looks a little bit like HTML programming. Yeah. The, <laughs> the brackets. <laughs> yeah, for me, I like I really like both. I like also that you mentioned that you have to be aware of. Yeah, that, that's that's also from my opinion. You you need to know that it exists. And the second one that you really should you shouldn't be the guy who is proud if people are coming to his room all the time because you are the one who knows how the stuff works. You should be proud if you provide a solution where people don't have to ask you how how this works, right? So maybe that's that's how I phrase it all the time. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, so I guess this was our second episode and for me it was somehow exhausting. So I found it's now time to to wrap it up. But I really you, liked you mean, it. You mean mentally exhausting. Mentally exhausting, <laughs> yeah. And and probably because my cup of coffee is empty from the beginning of yeah, the recording that's, and that's, that's really a, that's yeah. a shame yeah it's really a shame because it's called developer melange yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look it up and type minus tune into google <laughs> to get to the real melange um, yes yeah, so what we want to have you dear listener listener do is get out read out reach out to us uh, leave your comments on our website um, you can find us on twitter is at devmelange so developer melange was actually too long we had to cut it to devmelange and the url of our website is um, developer melange github io And of course, our website is open source. If you don't like it, leave a pull request. <laughs> <laughs> Just recreate it, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thank you very much for listening, listening this time. And we will be back in a month from now with episode number three with developer Milosh. <laughs>